This digitally remastered episode is sponsored by our publisher, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. To get a signed copy of our book, Transmigrations, go to sageandsavant.com or pick up your copy from edgewebsite.com or Amazon today. And now for our show. Greetings and welcome to the audio-etheric transmission The Tales of Sage and Savant, a Twin Star production. This broadcast is brought to you on the first of each month from the Twin Star Studios in sunny Southern California. Episode 6, Feet to the Fire, was written by Eddie Louise. Our tale stars Chip Michael as Professor Ravasmus Savant, Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, and myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator. Special guest in this episode was Emily Riley Pyatt, this month's program features the music of Professor Elemental. And now, without further ado, we bring you the tales of Sage and Savant. When last we saw our intrepid adventurers, they were newly returned from the piratical life and suddenly marooned upon the rock of administrative disapproval. In the intervening month, Provost Cunningham has been relentless in his targeting of the good doctor, demanding unprecedented access to her research notes and experimental data. Though Dr. Sage has been continuing her galvanization studies in the window between trips into the great unknown, there has been very little true progress in that field since the first successful twitch. Frankly, she finds traveling through space and time far more interesting than reanimating of simple flesh. We concur. Therefore, I will conclude that without a complete reconnection of the ulnar nerve, any appendage would be nothing more than a dead club hanging at the end of the arm. A patient might develop the ability to move such a surgically attached limb, but it would have little to recommend it over the inanimate options currently available. Therefore, we can assume that patients would still suffer from phantom limb syndrome and other such psychological maladies as are currently associated with the wearers of prosthetics. Hello, pet. Still dancing to Cunningham's tune? His demands are ridiculous. None of the male research fellows are subjected to such scrutiny. Oh, but his demands must be met, unfortunately. He is head of your department. I realize that. Thank you. Well, you shan't change things by snapping at me. Oh, you are right. I'm sorry, Erasmus. It just gets up my nose that female scientists are held to a different standard than our male counterparts. And you are completely correct about that, Petra. It is a deplorable state of affairs. But since it's the reality you must suffer, what do you have to do to appease him? I am sorry. I must interrupt this episode to share an insight of a personal nature, dear listener. I realize that up to this point in our relationship, you have seen me as a harmless background voice, a guide, as it were, to the adventures of our sage and savant. The truth is that through the lens of a temporal extrapolator, I am able to see things that the good doctor cannot yet, but remain singularly unable to break through the barrier and effect any real change on her behalf. I am not made of stone. 
and as you can imagine, this state of affairs is untenable. That a scientist of Dr. Sage's stature should be made to humble herself before such academic cretins... Only repeat my experiment under controlled circumstances three times... A doddle. Present all research notes for review... Done. You keep meticulous records, my dear. Stand before a panel and defend my work... No, wait. They've set a panel already. Before observing your experiments or reviewing your notes... Oh, that's quite irregular. And welcome the services of an assistant assigned by the college, whom I am quite sure will be nothing but a spy for Cunningham. This, my friends, is why it takes human science so long to make advances. Bureaucracy. My job is to calmly and rationally convey the happenings here, but I find myself severely tested at this juncture. Is Dr. Sage capable of responding to these unreasonable demands? Without doubt. Should she have ever been subjected to them in the first place? Not in a just world. Is there anything I can do to help? Oh, I don't doubt they'll be coming for you in some form as well. Cunningham hinted as much. Why would he think I have a connection to your research? The history department is rather removed from the medical wing. Well, you have been observed entering my lab too many times for it to be mere professional courtesy. And you cannot simply disclose this time the true nature of your research. I have reams of data, but no definitive proof as of yet. If I present my research now, I will be laughed out of the university as a charlatan and a mountebank. Not only would I lose my funding at this university, but they would ensure that no reputable institution would even consider me for any position. Medical sciences are rather cutthroat, aren't they? Yes, they are. So either you admit to an illicit romantic relationship with me, or we need to devise an adequate excuse for your frequent presence in my laboratory. Petra, I know that our contracts state we cannot enter a courtship with fellow adjuncts. There is nothing on the books that forbids friendship, though. I shall simply state as your friend I have a keen interest in your success, and therefore lend a hand when I can to your experiments. Don't be naive, Erasmus. Once the seed of suspicion has sprouted, they will not accept an explanation of simple friendship. And truthfully, if my experiments had been confined to repeatedly moving a cadaver's arm for the past number of months, would you really have spent so much time in my laboratory? She is right. None of us would have spent months following the doctor if what she was doing amounted to little more than dead flesh waving. Well, perhaps I wouldn't have been here as often, but I still would have been here supporting you. I know, Erasmus. So, how shall we explain your presence in my lab? Morbidity? Boredom? A secret desire to become a galvanist? As it so happens, our department has recently come into possession of Andrew Cross's books, papers, and instruments. I can say that visiting your laboratory was in order to better help me have a grasp on the world of a galvanist. You have Cross's papers? Why didn't you tell me? May I see them? When should I have told you? In Boston? New York? You have a habit of locking me out of your laboratory between trips, so we don't have much time for casual chat. Besides, they're still on departmental lockdown. I should be able to share them in a month or so. It's not true. We chat. What about at the Chancellor's party? We had quite a lengthy conversation that night. <laughs> Petra, darling, the Chancellor's party was months ago, before we began traveling. Well, well, how about... Oh. Savant is correct. The more adventures the two share, the less they talk in their own time. This is a vexing state of affairs for the professor, made more so by the fact that the doctor does not seem to notice. 
We had many lovely conversations on the deck of the Revenge. A, you were in a man's body, hardly yourself, and B, too many of those conversations were about finding a good way to die. It is not the same. A point taken. I've been very abusive of our friendship, haven't I, old man? I will try to do better in the future. That is, if I have a future after all this mess with Cunningham. I don't want you to think that I'm in any way dissatisfied with our partnership. I understand. I mean, I love traveling with you, discovering new things. Well, of course. And the conversations we do have that are not about dying, I enjoy those a great deal. Indubitably. And you do have a future here. I am sure of it. Thank you, Erasmus. Now you must go. I need to prepare for my examination. Yes, yes, I must go. Petra, I'm sorry you have to go through this. You are right. It is a beastly thing that they are treating you differently because you're female. Thank you, dear friend. Will Dr. Sage jump through enough hoops to impress her university, stay cool whilst they put her feet to the fire, and succeed in keeping her funding? We'll find out after this brief musical interlude. Now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the musical stylings of the unparalleled Professor Elemental with Home Sweet Home. moment to arrive. The key goes in the lock and we can go inside. Nothing's quite like the smell of your own home, whether filled with family or going alone. You can be who you are till you're feeling recharged. Pop the kettle on, make the tea, have a bath, watch TV, have a laugh, maybe read in the dark, lay in the back garden in the grass and see stars. Each part of your dwelling is especially precious. Every inch tells a tale. You should never be jealous of pristine palaces with endless bedrooms. If you couldn't swing a cat and have barely headroom, who cares? As long as that's where your heart is. Not your stairs and carpets, wherever your art is. Wherever your stuff and your love and your laugh is. Wherever you end your stay and restart it. Songs say you've given all you've got, but payday's a long way. On the way, no play days, it's all gone grey. There's still a place where someone loves you. Your mates or your pets, I bet they won't judge you. They'll understand, maybe have a cuddle for you. Accept a pet fish, and he'll blow bubbles for you. There's reasons to stay in this season, or Sunday with no kids, so lay in, get close to the sofa, zone out on your throne. Slouch on the couch, pull out your phone You can lounge in the lounge, sit around the sitting room Roll around your carpet, then get up you silly fool Just let it be known, there's nowhere better than home sweet home
little island is relatively small But I'd like to extend a warm welcome to all British homes, they tend to prove modest The hall, kitchen, bed, living room and bathroom It's all we need We tend to keep ourselves to ourselves We like it private So believe everybody else would like to be too How nice, yes, me too I'll invite you to tea Don't like to be rude A nation of gossips Tight communities, neighborly behavior, sunshine and unity. Wherever you're from, we have something in common. One place that everyone can run from our problems. When you need friends or to be on your own, reach for your road on a street full of clones. A green postage stamp complete with a gnome. Just close the door in your home, sweet home. Close the door to a place with all I need. By my side is the one I adore Just take my hand and we'll be home Sweet home, sweet heart Now, back to our story. Dr. Sage is preparing to face a university tribunal, a panel of renowned experts in the fields of medical science and galvanization. If this were a regularly scheduled exam, there would be nothing to worry about. But this panel has been convened at the behest of Provost James Cunningham, head of department and primary member of the No Women in Science Club. Uncertain just what the panel will ask of her, Dr. Sage has stayed awake all night practicing potential answers to hypothetical questions. In the meantime, Cunningham has run into Professor Erasmus Savant in the halls of King's College and takes the opportunity for a more informal interview. Ah, Erasmus, old boy. How are things over in history? All tickety-boo, I should imagine, hmm? Ah, yes. Thank you, Cunningham. All is well. I'm happy to have run into you, old man. I really must speak to you about Miss Petronella Sage. A doctor? Sage? Uh, Yes, she's a friend of mine and a damn fine scientist. Ah, well, see, there is the rub. I'm not wholly convinced she is much of a scientist at all. Not her fault, really. Women just don't have a mind for the advanced calculations of the discipline. What exactly are you getting at, Cunningham? I have yet had my tea, and I'm afraid I'm a bit short. Not at all, not at all. Uh, just a few moments of your time, and then we'll have you away for your tea. Now, where were we? You were assaulting the character of my friend, Dr. Sage. Oh, no, not at all. Do not mistake me. Petra, Dr. Sage is a lovely woman, a fine figure in agile mind. I'm simply not 100% certain that galvanization is the best area of study for her. Our kind-hearted professor is beginning to suspect that Petra's dislike of this man is entirely justified. And what area of studies do you feel she is more suited for? Well, there are certainly areas of study that are more suited for womenly talents, more... Docile. 
Domestic. Well, yes, actually. The fabric of a nation begins to fray when the individual citizens fail to uphold their designated roles. As an anthropologist, don't you agree? <sighs> now, I'm afraid my time is short, so I must ask you a few questions. Fine, yes. Just get on with it. Multiple members of my staff have reported you arriving at Dr. Sage's laboratory at a variety of times throughout the past few months. The distressing thing is that there are no good reports of you leaving her premises within a time appropriate for decorum's sake. What brings you to her lab, and what compels you to stay beyond the bounds of propriety? Elucidation, exploration, academic pursuits. These are the answers to your insinuation. This is the answer on all points. But whatever can an anthropologist learn in the laboratory of a Galvanist? I should imagine, Mr. Cunningham, that all disciplines might learn from each other, but... In specific reply to your query, I will learn the arcana of Galvanism, of course. I should think that would be obvious. Yes, but what reason does a historian have for learning Galvanism in the first place? Oh, it is simple, sir, to understand its workings, most specifically in reference to the tools, machines, and impedima of the science. And why, pray tell, would you have need of this knowledge? You will not be satisfied if I tell you that knowledge is of its own reward. So I shall tell you the partial truth. I learned galvanism that I might have the language appropriate to catalogue the ephemera on loan from the university by the family of Andrew Cross, an amateur scientist and galvanist, known for his somewhat shady experiments and claimed to have created insectoid life via electrocrystallization. You expect me to believe that you have spent hours, days even, in the company of Dr. Sage in order to learn enough to catalogue the boxes of junk on loan from the family of a known quack? I do. I, I did. And I plan to spend more time as I are still instruments of which there are no idea the providence or application. Rather than take Dr. Sage's precious time after hours, I toddle along to her lab and wait for the breaks in her own experiments to make my queries. I have more free time than her, you see, because I am tenured and only give two lectures a week this term. You sit in her lab and you wait for her to have a break to talk with Normally, you? I'm a very patient man. But what of this past fortnight? You were seen to enter her lab on the 31st of August. The doors were locked, and no one saw you exit at all. Repeated knocking elicited no response. The lab was quiet. No sound of voices, nor electricity, nor activity of any sort for the entire span. In fact, you even missed your two precious lectures. What were the two of you up to during that week? The one of us, you mean? What? The one of us. I was not present in the lab that day for more than a few moments. Dr. Sage was far too deeply buried in her own studies to spare a moment for me. I did not stay. You did not stay? Then why did my man not report your exit? I have had Jeffrey keep a constant watch on her delve for the past month. You entered, but did not exit that day. I went out the window. The window? The window. I was aware of Jeffrey's skulking in the hall, and I take great umbrage to my movements being clocked. It's no business of yours, Mr. Cunningham, where I go and who I spend my time with. Now, if we are finished. Although it must have been very satisfying for Professor Savant to dismiss the dunderhead Cunningham in such a manner, it did not help Dr. Sage's case one whit. By the time the good doctor came to stand in front of the imposing examination table, Cunningham had vented his spleen to the other two panel members, making it a very uncertain room our doctor now must face. 
Examination of scientific methods and results in the experiments of Dr. Petronella Sage for the edification of King's College and the determination of funding continuance will now commence. The chair calls Dr. Petronella Sage. I am Mr. James Cunningham, Provost of Medical Sciences and Galvanization at King's College. To my left is Dr. James McNeish, Professor of Anatomy here at King's and a renowned lecturer. To my right is Professor Cynthia Ingalls, lecturer in philosophy and history at Queen's University, assigned to us as an outside observer who shall, I must emphasize, only vote in case of a tie. Do you understand the format of today's proceedings, Dr. Sage? I do understand how such examinations work, yes. You would do yourself a credit were you to maintain a civil tongue, Dr. Sage. The first of our questions today is this. Why do you lock the door of your laboratory, even when you are present and conducting research? Electricity. Electricity? That is the entirety of your answer? No, sir. That is the entirety of my reasoning. Electricity is a dangerous and elemental force. The nature of galvanization requires us to direct that force, sometimes at large amperage, towards our subjects. Were any hapless person to open the door at the wrong moment, they would get a shock. <laughs> <laughs> I see, yes. I do understand the dangers of galvanism. However, this does not explain why the door to your laboratory remains locked at all times. Distraction would account for the remainder of the time, sir. You may ask any of the assistants who have ever worked with me. Once I am stuck into an experiment, I rarely surface for such trivial things as unlocking a door, or eating, or brushing my hair. I do not intend that to be rude. Your notes are quite thorough on your processes, and those notes show me you've hit a dead end where surgery cannot live up to the promise of your galvanization provides. It appears to me that your research is nothing but a colossal waste of time and money by the college. What assurances can you provide that this research will lead to anything useful? Well, I suppose, Dr. McNeish, that you, still having the use of all four of your extremities, might not find the research valuable. However, to a man deprived of a leg or an arm by the vagaries of war or the cruelties of commerce, the uncertainty of my results would be a goad to continue. Where there is no definitive negative, a small ray of hope can exist. I believe that the surgical challenge of nerve reattachment is surmountable, and perhaps in concert with galvanization we can find those answers, but only if we keep searching. <laughs> a man cannot walk around plugged into a battery to power his limbs. But we already have a battery of sorts, our own brains. The key lies in creating the surgical pathways for the energy of the brain to power the flexion of the arm. According to facilities, Dr. Sage, you have pulled over two million kilojoules of electricity into your laboratory this past month alone. That is enough to roast the human body like a fatted calf. How can you justify such extreme use of resources simply to make an arm twitch? That electricity was used to make multiple arms twitch, I'll have you know. <clears throat> During the early phases of my experiments, I used energy in shorter, more intense bursts, and I myself would have the stamina for only one effort each week. But as I've refined the amperage needed, built a supporting apparatus, and perfected my own concentration and application of will, I have been able to increase the frequency of my attempts. And thus, I've drawn a higher allotment of electricity as I move closer to success in my efforts. I 
Have you attempted the surgical attachment of a limb yourself? No, that would be out with my purview and remit. What I have done instead, if you will refer to my notes from the 10th of this month, is create an electrical matrix that more closely resembles the efferent nerve system. In this way, I can test the results of a rather small amount of electrical energy sent via a transponder array that closely mimics that of an intact human arm. My intentions are to create an effective framework from which the surgeons can practice their art. I am certain we surgeons do not need your help in knowing how to practice our art. Have you successfully reattached a nerve? My own surgical prowess has no bearings on these proceedings. Sorry to interrupt, but I have a question for the panel. Go ahead. Does the funding currently granted to Dr. Sage depend on her ability to work well with others? No. Well, not precisely. How not precise? Her current funding is based on proof of concept. If she is successful at this stage, the next funding tier would require her to share research and laboratory space with a surgeon. And her current funding is approved through until... If she is not found in opposition to her remit, her funding is guaranteed until summer term next year. Alright, thank you for that clarification. Go on. Dr. Sage, it has been observed on multiple instances that a certain Professor Erasmus Savant of the History Department is a regular visitor to your laboratory. Can you explain his presence at your experiments? As an observer only. Unlike some, Professor Savant has his own research to conduct. Insults will not serve you well at this junction, Petronella. I do suggest you keep in mind your status here. With all due respect, Mr. Cunningham, my status here is doctor. <sighs> However, in answer to your previous question, Professor Savant is researching the methods and tools of galvanism to better qualify the ephemera of the late Andrew Cross, which has been loaned to the university by that good man's family. His desire to effectively and completely catalog those items brings him to my lab to understand the nomenclature and proper application of the tools of galvanization. And why is such a task given to antiquities? I do not know. You should have to ask the bequeathing crosses for that. I have heard enough. You, Dr. Sage, are impertinent, intemperate, and entirely unsuited to the academic life here at King's College. I hereby recommend that we rescind your funding forthwith. <sighs> In consideration of your talents, however, we should offer you a lecturer's position as a temporary measure. Of course, if you prove yourself adept at teaching, as many women have, you can build a good future here at King's College. McNeish, what say you? She is reckless in seeming too willing to step above her station. I shall second your suggestion, Cunningham. Miss Ingalls, it seems we will not be in need of your tie-breaking vote after all. Y'all seem to be rushing this a bit. I think there might be room for a more in-depth questioning. This is how we do things in medicine, Professor Ingalls. Quick and precise. Dr. Sage knows that, don't you, Petronella? Do you have anything to say for yourself? Excuse me, Mr. Cunningham. This person is demanding to address at the pen. I have something to say on Dr. Sage's behalf. This is most irregular. Who is this, Geoffrey? Why have you let her in? Your man did not let me in. I entered. And my name is not important at this juncture. What is important is the name of the one whose interest I come. Major John Wesley Powell, director of the U.S. Geological Survey and the Bureau of Ethnology at the Smithsonian. Whatever would Major Powell have to do with our internal matters? Hmm. 
This is something that I am quite certain we would all like to know. What would an American ethnologist and conservationist have to do with our doctor's investigations? Major Powell lost a limb in the service of his country at the Battle of Shiloh and has suffered terrible nerve pain in that arm since. As you can imagine, he is most anxious to see successful results in the sort of inquiry that Dr. Sage conducts. I have been sent to offer Dr. Sage a line of funding separate from the university itself. Her critical research must continue. But that cannot be allowed. I'm sure the Chancellor would be happy to discuss this matter with Major Powell, out with the confines of this tribunal. There's no reason to speak to Major Powell. I'm quite sure you have not understood the offer I'm making, Mr. Cunningham. Patronella, may I call you Patronella? I am here to offer you a line of credit sufficient for you to carry on your research exactly as you have been since the 15th of May, 1893. We are most anxious that you think of the religious people in Boston, or the orphans in New York, or most especially the soldiers of the world that have suffered the weight of, perhaps, a cannonball? Your research must continue, and to that end, a line of credit will be offered large enough to allow for unfettered access to electricity and supplies. Exactly which research is this person referring to? I might be led to believe, via her inferences... Dr. Sage, have you shared your research notes from your experiments outside the college before your superiors could review them? I have not! Then how does this person know of your work? We do not know the exact details of her work, but we have heard of the path she has embarked upon and feel that it is a line of inquiry that must be followed. I do not know what to say. You know nothing of the specifics of my work, and yet you wish me to continue my research. Ah, and the good doctor shares my suspicions. Yes, of course. And quickly, time is of the essence in this matter. Why, Major Powell has presented a novel solution to your problem, Provost Cunningham. I, for one, am in favor. But wait! That money must be transferred to the normal channels. This is quite upsetting the order of things. Isn't that exactly the thing Dr. Sage excels at most? Upsetting the order of things, discovering new possibilities, doing the impossible whilst her more conventional peers offer nothing but roadblocks. You have a genius in your midst, and you work to humble her. As an institution of higher learning, you should be ashamed. Now, just one moment. King's College is a venerable institution with a fantastic history of respected and remarkable scientific advances to its credit. My research will mean nothing if it is not welcomed in the halls of academia. Research only truly begins to live and breathe when other scientists take up the mantle and expand upon it. Yes, exactly. Dr. Sage needs to stay in the academy where her research will do the most good. So, are you offering Dr. Sage a chance to keep her place here then? Uh, well, uh, uh, that... McNeish? It like that be best for the doctor and the college. Good, then it is settled. Dr. Sage will continue her research here at the college, though she will need a bigger laboratory. We will transfer the funds for this immediately. Dr. I fear this may mean that you shall remain beholden to college rules. No amount of money shall rescue you if you push the envelope beyond their tolerances. I understand. I can live with that. Speaking of university rules, I shall be assigning you an assistant of my choosing. In this way, I will know that you have all you need to make your research a success. That will not be necessary. 
Oh, I know it is not necessary, Dr. Sage, but it will happen. Either that, or you can take the mage's money, create a rogue laboratory in some shady alley or another. Fine. Good. Dr. Sage, here is my card. Draw up your budgetary requirements and send them to my office. We shall wire the money immediately. Gentlemen, ma'am. Can anyone tell me what just happened? It seems you have just won a research scientist with no worries as to how many kilojoules of electricity I use on a monthly basis. May I be excused? Yes, do leave. And with that abrupt announcement, the tribunal is closed on a far different result than Mr. Cunningham expected. Who was the stranger that arrived with the last-minute rescue? Has Dr. Sage jumped from the frying pan of college politics into a fire of unknown intensity? We will contemplate these questions as we take a short break for a message from our sponsor. Hello, listeners. Eddie Louise here, head writer for the Tales of Sage and Savant. I like stories that ignite my imagination, that make me think about the world in new ways, and that inspire me to build a future world. This is the kind of fiction I strive to write, and this is the kind of fiction published by our sponsor, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. Featuring works by established authors and emerging new voices, Edge is pleased to provide quality literary entertainment, including book one of the Tales of Sage and Savant, Transmigrations, in both print and pixels. Look for books with the Edge logo at your local bookstore and online for Kindle, Kobo, Nook, iTunes, and Google Play. Find your next great read at www.edgewebsite.com. Yes, dear friends, when you want to curl up with a great story, trust books from Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. And now, back to our story. A stranger with a murky purpose and an unclear provenance has offered Dr. Sage money to conduct her research. But which research is it exactly that has been funded? As soon as she left the tribunal hall, Petra ran to find Erasmus. They are holed up in the lecturer's lounge, discussing the thrilling and strange events that have just transpired. Did she say that Major Powell was the source of the funding? No, that is what is strange. She expressed his great interest in the results of my galvanization work, he being an amputee, but then she mentioned Boston, New York, and cannonballs. And then she gave me this. The chronometric aoristic chargé du fer cinquante-cinq de Saint-Paris. What does this mean? The Indeterminate Measuring of Time Agency. <laughs> I did not ask for a translation, my dear. What does it mean? I have no idea. I can assume, however, that since this card was pressed into my hand and not giving to Cunningham, the stranger intended me to know the source of the funding was not the American major. As for who this chargé du fer is, I have no idea. Whomever they are, they wish me to continue my primary research. Galvanization? Temporal translocation. But however would they know about that? We've told no one of your travels. 
Have you shared your research notes with anyone I am unaware no, of? No, of course not. Well, then this is most mysterious. You will stop your research at once and concentrate on galvanization studies, I presume. Why in the world would I do that? Oh, you have a shady organization with neither of us have heard of, offering to fund your research that no one should know of. It is insanely dangerous even for you. Don't be ridiculous, Erasmus. What is the worst that could happen if I continue my research? We could We've done that before and survived. For real this time. Oh, poor Erasmus. When will you learn? Death is no barrier to science. So Sage and Savant will continue their explorations of time and displacement, fueled by funds from a mysterious foundation that neither of them has heard of. What could possibly go wrong? Tune in next month to find out. The Tales of Sage and Savant is a twin star production brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Chip Michael as Savant, Eddie Louise as Sage, Emily Riley Pyatt, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. Episode 6, Feet to the Fire, was written by Eddie Louise. Theme music and audio engineering by Chip Michael. Are you interested in the historical information we included in this episode? Go to our website for the complete bibliography. Theme music and audio engineering by Chip Michael. Special music in this episode was by Professor Elemental. Check him out at ProfessorElemental.com. We would like to thank our friends Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing for sponsoring this digitally remastered episode. Catch our website at SageAndSavant.com and like us on Facebook to stay current with all things Sage and Savant. And remember, death is no barrier to science.